Welcome to Built Environment Matters, a monthly podcast brought to you by Bryden Wood, an international company of technologists, designers, architects, engineers, and analysts working for a better built environment. Bryden Wood believe in design to value, to cut carbon, drive efficiency, save time, make beautiful places, and build a better future. Hello and welcome to In Short, a bite-sized podcast in which we explore a single aspect of our design-to-value approach. I'm Jamie Johnston, Head of Global Systems, and this time I'm discussing reference design, its benefits for major programs of work, and why our use of this process really works. Reference design is a term we've been using for a number of years now, where we develop a centralised, highly optimised core design, and then we localise and adapt it for specific sites and local conditions. What we're finding is there's lots of these major serial or repeat clients who have a national or global rollout, and they're doing that at rapid pace. Most of these clients really understand their assets. They understand what layouts drive efficiency, what works operationally really well for them, and they don't want to start from scratch and design every asset for every site because of the time and cost associated. And actually to the point where sometimes bespoke design is slowing the process down because it takes a long time and it introduces variation which isn't necessarily valuable but is adding cost and time to the process. Typically what the clients want to achieve is a very repeatable solution that describes say 80% of the assets and then they get to choose options as they drop it onto local sites. They might want the ability to scale up or scale down. They might want a seismic and a non-seismic version. They might want the ability to pre-select key equipment from their supply chain or key suppliers. But the point is all of these choices have been built into the reference design and we have a plan for how to make that kind of local adaption. The level of variability or flexibility that clients want in their reference design is quite client-specific or maybe sector-specific. So to give a couple of examples, the Ministry of Justice have a very highly standardised, very repeatable house block that gets put onto their sites. So the thing that changes per site is the orientation, it's the number of house blocks to suit the prison population, etc. Alternatively, in healthcare, there tends to be much more flexibility in the reference design. So because of say, clinical specialisms, local needs, uh, eating facilities, you typically need much more variability. But the point is in both of those, the design team, the local design team can spend much more of their effort really responding to the specific site constraints, local context, placemaking, energy balance, those things. They can put more effort into the very, very site-specific value-adding bits, knowing that the core design has sort of baked in best practice, operational principles, etc. I've given two examples of where this is already happening in the public sector, but we're also seeing it a lot in the private sector now, particularly in, say, data centres markets and fulfilment centres, where you can imagine there are these massive global clients that are rolling out their assets at a pace in all sorts of different regions and geographies. In the UK, the new hospitals programme is using reference design for the delivery of 40 new hospitals. So they're developing a standardised, repeatable solution that can be scaled up and down depending on local needs. And it's incorporating lots of best practice and learning from the prisons programme. One of the most obvious benefits is the ability to then deliver these assets using design for manufacturing assembly, platform components, etc. 
But the benefits go much deeper than that. So what we're seeing is, firstly, this gives clients much more control of their assets, much more ownership and makes them much more enabled as owners and understanders of their own assets. We're also finding that standardizing design massively amplifies the benefits. So if you're going to use a solution, a good solution, many times, then you get an amplification of the benefits. And it means that you can put loads more effort into designing that asset than you could on any one-off. So in a one-off, you appoint a design team, you go through a typical design process, typically none of the lessons are learnt, What we found is reference design allows you to do tons of stakeholder engagement, really get good practice, enshrine that in a repeatable design, and then you get the benefits of that design process every single time you roll it out. That then extends into the operation and maintenance. So staff get a greater understanding of these assets. The maintenance team have much better ability to change and replace things. And there's also a place for lessons learned. So as these assets are running, people learn how to use them better, that can also be taken enshrined into the next version of the reference design. So you get into a cycle of continual improvement rather than the traditional constant reinvention. One of the most powerful uses of reference design is right at the start of the process where clients are starting to look at sites and test their viability. So typically a client will set a site-specific brief. So in the prisons example, that might be prisoner population, For a data centre client, that might be number of megawatts. For a healthcare client, that's number of inpatient rooms, for instance. That then generates the, say, number of house blocks that need to be deposited on the site. And then we can very quickly test lots of iterations by testing different configurations. Because all the rules around how the different buildings or different parts of the asset talk to each other, you know that each of these options will be compliant and will meet all the technical standards but you can very quickly generate lots of options and then start to assess them relative to each other. So you can look at which has the best site utilisation, which has the least amount of cut and fill, which has the closest match to your idealised adjacencies. So already you're tending towards a design which is very highly optimised, but you do that very quickly and you can very quickly test whether a site is very viable or not. And so for clients to be able to make inform decisions very early on and make big investment decisions on sites much more quickly than they would normally is enormously powerful because once they buy a site they're locked in for a very long time so having that speed of iteration while still helping to develop a more optimized solution and inform a very important capital decision is incredibly powerful for these clients who are often looking at multiple sites at the same time. So overall, this process has massive benefits through every stage of a project. So in the early stages, it allows clients to make very informed decisions on site selection right at the start of the process. That often saves months, if not years. The design process can happen incredibly quickly because of the pre-baking of the solutions into the reference design. It also cuts design fees because it allows designers to only be focusing on those elements which are the most site-specific and most localised. It often allows procurement to happen very quickly because you have the standardised reference elements. You could be starting to procure some of the components for those while the main site design is still happening. And for the supply chain, it gives massive certainty because if they know there's a 
pipeline of continual demand coming out from clients, they can gear up, they can start to innovate. So it benefits everyone from the clients, the designers, the supply chain, site personnel, operational personnel, right the way through the process and often takes a process that would be months, years, decades in some instances and turns that into weeks, months in some cases. So you can see hopefully why this has become such a hot topic and why it's become such an enticing way for people to start to run these programs. This actually links back into lots of other things that are of interest in Brighton Wood. So design automation sits on top of this, adoption of automation and construction platforms, and we'll come back to those in future podcasts. Thank you for listening to Built Environment Matters, a podcast brought to you by Bryden Wood. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcast, and you can follow Bryden Wood on LinkedIn and Twitter.